Welcome to episode 96 of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, going around a horn edition of the Grip Strip Podcast because we're going to be covering a whole lot of different racing series tonight. We're going to be getting into the roar before the 24 at Daytona International Speedway, which is this coming weekend uh, in as a precursor to the Rolex 24 next weekend. Uh, then you'll also we'll also talk about the first ra- race of the World Rally Championship with their new uh, formula, uh, which will have uh, Sebastian Ogier making um, a rare start now as a retired driver. He'll make limited starts and Sebastian Loeb in his limited uh, effort with Ford. Um, that'll be interesting how that whole dynamic is. The two former uh, Citroen drivers, the uh, two guys that have won so many World Rally Championships uh, amongst the guys that are going to be contending for the full season championship. We'll also uh, discuss, we'll discuss um, Formula E a little bit since that'll be coming up uh, next week. Uh, there's been changes. There was announcement that there's a contract in place, uh, possibility of them, the series going to India, which would be really cool. Um, we'll get into that. There's news all over the the world of motorsports. NASCAR Cup has the entry list for the uh, clash at the Coliseum, which is all the um, chartered cars will be running that deal. And a couple of driver, different drivers that will be uh, in that. I didn't know that William Byron is a junior, but now he is, I guess. That's interesting. Uh, And uh, anything else? We'll talk about football. Uh, The 49ers almost gave me a heart attack, but they won. They were the only road team to win in the playoffs last week. And we'll get into the divisional round of the playoffs that'll be going on this weekend. Discuss any other um, news that's come along in the NFL. Ask Josh if he has any more insight on what his Jaguars are going to do. Since, you know, the Giants are kind of busy trying to figure out what they're going to do. And they're mess essentially in the same to, to the same level as the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, except they don't have a quarterback. The Jaguars do. Um, getting all that roundup kind of is the discussion today. And um, we will uh, get into Josh's Sim segment and whatever else comes to our mind, we'll talk about. So we will start with the roar before the 24. You told me, Josh, that you're thinking about going to the roar. So um, uh, what uh, what's going on? They have... Uh, what do you call like uh, general admission passes and stuff to go or what's the uh, thinking uh, in regards to going for that this coming weekend? Yeah, I think it's just a general admission. And I think they also, you'll have the uh, ability to get a, a, you know, the fan zone part and at least walk on to the track before the race or well during the weekend. Cause you, we have the uh, IMSA prototype challenge. Uh, they're going to be racing at 12 PM. And then uh, at eleven twenty, there's a uh, prototype challenge pre uh, yeah, pre race fan grid walk. So um, sure there'll be you know activity on on the racetrack or you know right at the start finish line and around uh, pit road. You know like like how it kind of is before the races anyways. So something like that. But um, I mean you know just being there to watch the action and everything. You know whether you're in the grandstands or uh, in the infield to see the uh, practice. You know for both the uh, weather tech sports car uh, championship series and michelin uh, pilot challenge and then of course the uh, prototype challenge as well um that's a you know interesting part as well and then um 
Sunday is going to be the qualifying race, 100 minutes uh, long for the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Series, and uh, that should be exciting. I mean, there's going to be a lot of you know interaction with the drivers. There's got some interaction with uh, at 12:30 on Saturday. They got driver panel with Tristan Nunez, uh, Richard Westbrook, Jonathan Bomarito, and then Felipe Nazar. And then later on, uh, they got the Star Power Forum at 2 p.m. on Saturday with Elio Castro Dash Neves, uh, Austin Sindrick. Uh, Jamie Johnson, Alexander Rossi, and then uh, Jordan Taylor uh, and everything. So should be good. And then, yeah, they're going to have the GTD and GTD uh, Pro uh, qualifying. So I'm, I'm assuming that, yeah, that's going to be the and qualifying for the LMP3, that all that stuff is going to be like the qualifying for um, the qualifying race on Sunday. Um, and then the qualifying race, of course, determines the uh, lineup uh, for next weekend's uh, official uh, race with the looks 24. But, yeah, I mean, just to, you know, like spend the day on Saturday, just, you know, watching cars, you know, practice and uh, do, do all sorts of kind of things. Uh, and, you know, the PC race as well. So, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd go on both days, to be honest, on Sunday, but I'm probably busier on Sunday. So I you know, definitely think Saturday is free day. So, uh, you know, why not drive up an hour to go to Daytona and and uh, just, you know, take in the whole event and then maybe maybe get try to get a, a you know, picture or something or or, you know, see Jimmy Johnson and all those stars in person. So that's what I was thinking behind potentially going to that. Yeah, it's going to be a busy weekend. There's, I mean, you talk about 61 cars in the Rolex 24 uh, coming up uh, in a couple of Saturdays from now. Um, all, you know, as long as all the cars get there, the prototype challenge field is pretty deep as well. I mean, that's not accounting for the cars that are the teams that are going to be running in both the uh, Rolex 24 and the Prototype Challenge. I mean, the weekend schedule, uh, they'll have a three-hour race, then the IMSA Prototype Challenge, and then they'll come back. Some of those teams are going to run in the Rolex. The pole qualifying race sets the lineup for the 60th running of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Um, Saturday, I mean, is a huge... A lot of a lot of um, interesting stuff going on, as uh, Josh said. I mean, the qualifying for the race itself that that qualifying race will take place on Saturday afternoon, and then they'll have a Michelin Pilot Challenge practice. They'll have a night practice for the WeatherTech Sports Car uh, Championship. They'll have yeah, they have a guided WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Garage Tour. Well. Um, then Sunday is all based on the um, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and their qualifying race. And um, so, I mean, that's a, a big deal. Second year, I think they've done that. I'm th- I think it's only the second year they've done that because before it was just strictly that have a test and then they would go into the race and there would be a lot of like sandbagging and stuff for BOP. Uh, but now... In this case, or can't sandbag, you just have to run it out. You have to run it to 10 tenths. Um, last year, the Mazda team ran it at 10 tenths in qualifying and set a track record. And I think the, but in the race itself, uh, the Cadillacs, of course, have more top end, a more grunt, which um, has always suited them at Daytona um, and uh, in the qualifying race. But then once the actual race happened, Wayne Taylor Racing and the experience they have came through and uh, led to another victory in the Rolex 24, but this time with Acura after many years with the GM, um, which, you know, Wayne Taylor has been connected to GM for decades. 
um, going to his what his other his two wins as a driver at the Rolex with his sons driving, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it shows that even though it's basically Cadillac versus Acura battle this year, it still can be very interesting. And there's plenty of competition throughout the field and some of the other categories, especially in the GT Daytona um, field across both the pro and AM uh, categories. The LMP3s are put on a good show and are showed to be pretty reliable, uh, depending on the team that ran them, of course. And, uh, you know, there's LMP2s, which are strong, durable cars, and they're big, bigger field this year, too, um, in in the for this Rolex 24. And, um, I mean, it's it's promising to see what uh, what that looks like, especially for the full season. Um, that that also is a, a big plus. Um, there's going to be 10 LMP2s, 9 LMP3s, 13 GTD Pro, 22 GTD cars uh, amongst and 7 DPIs in the 61 car field. Um, Michelin Pilot Challenge is going to have right now just over about 41 cars, 29 GS and 12 TCRs. Um, and then LMP3s will have 18 cars. I mean, I think we'll get more into all of this stuff uh, next week prior to the Rolex weekend um things might happen this weekend that might knock up some of these cars out so i can't really get into it so like fully i would say um i'm looking at the field right now in the gs category it's you got a lot of toyotas got ford we have mercedes we have chevy and uh bmw bill auberlin there and robbie foley nice oh, from jersey i didn't know robbie foley's from jersey that's cool um so Turner Motorsports, of course, you get a bunch of Porsches, GT4 spec in the GS category, um, Mustangs, you have, um, yeah, so it's pretty straightforward, um, Aston Martin there too. So, and then in the TCR category, it's mostly Hyundais, uh, you have one, six of them, I think, yeah, four, five, six, seven Hyundais, but six of them are run by Brian Hurd Autosport. Um, one of them, yeah, so seven. And then Michael Johnson, um, who's a, a, a veteran, uh, he fought and uh, lost his legs in war, and he's now able with um, uh, with the uh, prosthesis to go in, and with the modified controls is able to drive, which is part of the drive and direction, which is, which is now going to see... Um, Robert Wickens return to the wheel uh, behind the wheel of a race car again um, for the first time since his um, accident at uh, at Pocono a couple of years ago, driving with Mark Wilkins in an all Canadian uh, number 33. Um, let's see here. I mean, in terms of the Hondas, uh, there's was one Alfa Romeo actually there. It's an Audi. Oh, there's one Hyundai Veloster actually. Uh, old, uh, so mostly Hyundais. But the Elantra and TCR is the Brian Hurd Autosport team, and they're the factory effort. There's only uh, one Honda running in the TCR category, Victor Gonzalez Racing Team. Some of the other teams that have ran over the recent years are not in this race. Uh, might be basically calling attention to what's going on with the category in um, the LMP3 field. I mean, you're going to see some of these drivers in the Rolex 24 
some of these guys actually have been in the Rolex 24 before um, years ago. Some of these teams, I mean, Mamo Gidley, look at that, making the return. Former IndyCar driver, former uh, sports car driver, had a serious accident in the Rolex like 16 years ago in the Gainsco Red Dragon. Um, and um, it took a long time for him to recover, and he's now back driving again. Um, so that's going to be pretty cool to see. Yeah. Um, some other drivers here trying to look at that. You had uh, Hannah Zellers. Um, she's got a full time ride again, uh, driving for Tony Alves team. And uh, so that'll be cool to see some of these drivers, see what they're able to do. Some of these drivers will be in the Rolex as well. Um, but we'll get more of an idea of what everybody's bringing to the table and in the um, roar and some of the practices and whatever else I guess we're going to see in regards to the um, Rolex 24 at Daytona in on the 30th, the weekend of the 30th. Um, in uh, looking at the uh, World Rally Championship, there's the new uh, Rally 1 format, which will have electrification um, added to it, or the hybrid power, So, which will be interesting considering how crazy it is to drive a World Rally car anyway. But then you're going to go and add a hybrid component to that. Um, seems kind of interesting. Um, what that'll do or how that'll do or is to be determined. But Hyundai, you have... Ford, you have Toyota, those are the uh, drivers or the teams that will be running. Uh, let me try to go through the field here. This is just in the WRC. I mean, Ogier is going to run limited races. Essa Pica Lappi for Toyota, Oliver Solberg for Hyundai, Danny Sordo for Hyundai. I think he runs pavement uh, only. Atanak and Thierry Neuville are the Two um, full-time guys, Oliver Solberg's a son of Petter, so that's interesting. Hyundai snatched him up. Uh, Adrian Formo is driving for M Sport with Craig Breen. They're the two full-time drivers, I think, and got Earth, Gus Greensmith. And then you have, of course, Sebastian Loeb, the legend, uh, driving for them this year. Efren Evans is another full-time guy for Toyota. And then uh, Cali Rovampera is a young buck. Uh, for the Toyota team. So Hyundai and Toyota have been up there uh, dominant over the last few years. Ogier left Ford to go to Toyota, basically to end his career. It's not the same as what it was back in the day. You know, you think about the Tommy Mackinans and uh, when Mitsubishi and Subaru and Ford, and there were so many multiple manufacturers, it's much more limited uh, this day and age with World Rally Championship. But it's still interesting, and it's still quite a challenge uh, to go and maneuver those cars. And the Rally Monte Carlo is one of the biggest. It's la It's been around for many, many years. So it's something that we will see and we'll get into uh, who wins, um, how the Sebastians do with all, I think, 19 World Rally Championships between the two of them. And, uh, you know, whatever, I guess, else comes from the uh, result uh, this coming weekend at uh, the Monte Carlo rally. Uh, other things, I mean, uh, I mean, just I guess as a to go go back to the sports car since 
since it's somebody, uh, Dane Cameron won't be in the IMSA series this year uh, because he's part of the whole Porsche of Penske racing, the their uh, LMP or LMDH situation or a DP, whatever the hell. Um, I'm mixing up whatever the letters. Uh, I think it is LMDH. LMDH. Yeah, yeah, so the... The uh, he'll be testing the Porsche with um, um what's uh, likely to join Rolls Oh, Daniela Petrucci's going okay. Um, there's oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the they'll be he'll be running there, but uh, Penske announced that they're gonna actually give uh, give Dane Cameron a test in an Indy car, which is pretty cool considering I think Robin Miller would talk about guys like him years ago and how they deserved a shot in an Indy car and because of funding and everything, it never happened. Well, Dane Cameron served his job well driving the Acura program for them, won a championship, won a bunch of races, and uh, he's going to get a shot in an Indy car all of a sudden. Uh, but we know it's not, who knows if it'll really lead to much. I mean, he won't, he'll be busy testing all year, uh, but they have a full full team right now with uh, New Garden and McLaughlin and Will Power, and they had to reduce down to three cars actually to supply the Porsche program. So that'll be something we'll see in here and next in the future. We in the upcoming weeks, uh, the F one one thing. Um, Josh, I'll go to you uh, now with Formula One. There's a news I saw about the sprint races because now they're having arguments about money, but of course they would since they're all rich multimillionaires. Uh, the likelihood of because of this money situation and the amount of races they're running that the sprint races may go away. Um, I know we discussed the sprint races ad nauseum. Um, I think two of them were a waste. The Brazil one was awesome. Uh, and for you know, obvious reasons. But then that whole entire weekend was a great weekend of racing. But the sprint races, but I mean, before I give my thoughts, um, what are your thoughts on that story and what that may mean in regards to the series this year, just strictly being a regular, you know, multi-three practice sessions and uh, going in there qualifying in the races instead of this sprint race crap that they were um, doing last year. Yeah, I mean, it definitely shows just how costly it is to run the sprint races as they are. I think the thinking was going into last year uh, that sprint races could help generate revenue and you know bring in you know extra um, exposure for the teams. But it seems like you know it was put extra you know stress on the teams having to prepare for a sprint and then for the actual race. And I think all three of them probably would have been useless. I mean, the, the Third one, of course, was the Brazil Grand Prix, and that was only entertaining because we got to see Lewis Hamilton go from the back to, uh, the, you know, basically uh, to the front before he got his uh, grid penalty. So that part was exciting. But at the same time, like if that didn't happen and he had started from the front anyways, well, it wouldn't be all uh, that exciting. Um, and, and, you you know, we've seen from, uh, you know, some of these sprint races, you know, we saw uh, Sergio Perez get into it and get crashed out. Uh, one of these sprint races so it was uh you know from that aspect it has a extra risk on on the cars and on on the teams uh if you, if you get up and get a, caught into an accident and i mean we found that it, it didn't really change anything for the races themselves i mean we saw some you know incredible racing you know from fernando alonso and uh 
I think at Silverstone uh, at that sprint race, but you know, overall they didn't really do anything for the, uh, the series. And um, you know, now they're talking about uh, a stalemate over the cost, according to Zach Brown, um, because um, you know they were supposed to be paid uh, an extra hundred thousand dollars for each uh, sprint race in 2021, and then they got a cost cap of 450k. And then another 100K for accident damage uh, in the event of a serious crash. And then F1 didn't want to offer any extra allowance for this year. And then just a straight 500K payment per team in the first five events. And then an extra 150K for each event above that. Uh, and then basically extra 2.65 million for each team uh, for six uh, sprint races in 2022. I guess that's what they were thinking about doing. And um, yeah, it looks like. Uh, the bigger teams who are already at the limit of the cost cap, uh, well, I guess, yeah, they, they want more and they're worried that the payment, that um, compensation is not going to be good enough or enough. And I mean, of course, because, you know, they're already spending up to the limit anyways. And um, if they have to spend more and they're uh, worried, you know, because of this, and then uh, they're worried that whatever they've uh, agreed upon might not be enough. Yeah, they're uh, going to have a stalemate uh, on you know, how much money each team should deserve to have. Um, you know, to spend on these races and everything. So, uh, I mean, I think it, as a traditionalist, as you know, purist, I think you probably favor not having the sprint races. And um, I think you know, unless you're a casual fan, you know, I think everybody can agree that they're probably more of a waste of time than they weren't. And you can just go back to just having the practice sessions and then uh, you know, qualifying Q1 through three to decide the field for uh, the races on Sunday. Yeah, it's something that yeah, I, when you have 23 races, you only have three power unit components and all whatever, how many, there's six parts to the power unit and you only have three of each part and you're doing these stupid sprint races. You're saying you don't want to raise costs, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that, but you don't want to give extra engine, you want to pay for it's it seems idiotic um i didn't think it really added much of anything josh mentioned of course with um brazil how lewis because he got you know sent to the back due to uh i think a wing infraction the rear wing infraction so they sent him to tailback he qualified on pole on friday got sent tailback drove all the way to 10th or drove all the way to 5th took a five grid spot penalty for i think uh some adjustment and so he started 10th and and beat max verstappen um like the little bitch that he is and even though max verstappen drove him off the track and fia mysteriously lost that camera shot and the same way as they lose other camera shots conveniently when it comes to red bull but in general the sprint races did not add much of anything to the show i don't think they did much for anybody you're better off the qualifying at the end of the day minus some of these racetracks where they have the uh, issue of spacing and crowding which is an issue indycar has had too um, that their qualifying format is probably on par the best format there is in current uh you know circuit motorsports and uh, it's become very entertaining so why mess with that the sprint race option makes sense when you're talking about lower formulas or something like that you're running because it gives you know swapping lineups and things like that it's formula one maybe you've if you're going to go and do a reverse grid, which that's where they're going, it almost seems like they're going to go to that. If you're going to do a reverse grid and put Haas's up front, yeah, it's fine, I guess. 
there might be some carnage, but then what what are what are you really getting out of it? You're turning it into NASCAR, really. And that's short sense. track racing, really. Yeah, that's that's what it, what you're getting into. It's not it's not genuine genuinely, you know, you're you're taking Formula One and making it into some farcical well. I say that considering what the hell the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix was and a totally farcical thing. So I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't come off. Zach Brown's been very outspoken here in recent days, um, talking not just about the Formula One program, what they're trying to do with that, uh, his IndyCar program, what they're looking for from Pato Award, you know, and having him test formula one running fp1 sessions so where is that all gonna go what are their aspirations trying to go and race with penske ganassi etc after uh, pat award had his breakout season in indycar i mean there's a lot going on with mclaren they're in uh, extreme e as well they have gt cars as in different race different series across the globe so they're very busy there at uh, mclaren technologies Otmar Saf now got announced as the new uh, principal, team principal at uh, Alpine, uh, or not team, but whatever. He's, uh, yeah, he's going in Martian, he left and they they signed, uh, no, Crack was signed uh, elsewhere, I'm sure, whatever, you know, so forcing you for a good relationship. Uh, traditional pink colors will be part of the team's livery, so that'll be interesting. Um, Saf now, whose name is LinkedIn, is soon as similar role, so it'll be team principal here. Um, so that'll be something uh, moving from one midfield team to another in the process. Uh, Alan Prost will leave th- as an advisor uh, to Alpine, but you know, it's Alan Prost, I'm pretty sure the FIA will come calling to have him come in and do something there. Some couple of other things going on in regards to Formula One, but we will see how that all goes. We got testing coming up in a month or so, so that'll kind of get things more in check. We'll get into that in more detail as that comes along. Uh, There's a piece I know Scott Dixon compared the current Indy cars to uh, GP2 or um, junior category car. So that was interesting. Uh, reduce the weight. Yeah, it's not particularly fast, not particularly nimble. He's quoted as saying to David Malsher on motorsport.com, it's not particularly fast. It's not particularly nimble. It's very heavy. There's not a whole lot of grip. And some of the circuits we go through are very low grip as well. And, um, you know, talking, that's also uh, due to the safety aspects going in detail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you want the car as light as possible, but it's as durable as possible. And I guess it's a balancing act, Josh, for IndyCar, trying to make a spec chassis. There are parts, of course, that the teams can manipulate, but you're making a spec car, the same thing NASCAR is going to have their issues with, and they continue to. But it's a car that, for whatever negatives that there may have been, considering Delara's history at times has not been great, especially on the IndyCar side, this is a good car. Um, generally speaking, at most racetracks, it puts on a good race. It's a clean car. It looks, they've, they've worked on the aesthetic to make it a nice, um, aesthetically pleasing car. Um, is it the fastest car? Maybe, maybe not. 
But are we sitting there trying to set track records? Not really, because you're talking about engines that are on engine limits. You're not talking about the heyday of CART when they had four engine manufacturers and they had qualifying engines and all the other stuff like that. I think that part of perspective has to be there. I mean, I know Scott Dixon, you know, talk about New Guard and all those guys. They all have that perspective, but I also understand what they're trying to say in that you want a lighter car. I think the fact that Formula One's car, like you think about how they've changed their regulations, but the car is as wide as it's ever been. You probably want to be narrowing the car up, making it tighter. I know it may mess with certain aspects of aero, but the more narrow the car is, more likely that there might be for some maneuverability, maybe some passing. The wider the car is, the less likely that you'll be able to make clean overtakes. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on what Dixon said about calling it a junior category car. I know that took off and became a big uh, sticking point on social media, considering how great Scott Dixon is and how much he's done, how much winning he's done in this car, let alone every other car that he seemingly has driven. It's an interesting comment for sure, especially uh, Scott Dixon. You know, he has the most championships in the series right now. And, um, you know, currently active drivers, he has the most wins uh, of everyone currently racing. Uh, I mean, you think about his entire career and everything, and, you know, he's raced a bunch of things. He's raced open wheel cars, he's raced um, sports cars, and, you know, currently in the IndyCar series right now. Um, and think about the beginning of his career before he uh, went to IndyCars. He was in uh, in CART. You know, in 2001, he uh, entered into the series, and that was still, I mean, they weren't quite spec in CART back then. They were still running basically the same chassis going back to the mid-90s or you know, the same design, same uh, principles, philosophies, and concepts and whatever. And um, I was still back in the day, you know, when uh, 2001, remember Texas uh, with CART, they tried to race at Texas Motor Speedway and, and uh, they ended up having to cancel the race because the cars were too fast. And well, I mean, today, now you can go to Texas Motor Speedway and, you know, run no problem and everything. And, you know, the cars aren't quite as quick. You know, if you had gone back and, 1996 of course indycar was the one that or well irl was the one that set the uh track record with re line dyke but uh those were cart engines and car chassis that they were using from the previous year back in 96 when they set those speeds and of course the track was also repaved back then but if they had continued on that level of innovation today uh you know onto today and let's assume that none of the uh issues that cart had ran into with money and uh, regulations and everything that kind of led to their demise. If you assume, you know, all those didn't happen, I mean, you know, we'd still be talking about IndyCar, CART being the fastest racing series in the uh, in the world. I mean, that's kind of what the draw was, you know, back in the 90s. And, you know, they were starting to rival the speeds of Formula One in terms of, you know, outright speeds uh, of the car. Um, I mean, obviously, they're still second to Formula One, but that was back, you know, when there was a lot of crossover. I mean, there still is today, but it's almost after, um, you know, like people were coming to Formula One first or to IndyCar first before going to Formula One. I mean, you look at Juan Montoya, look at Zanardi, both of those guys went to Formula One. That was back when the car was very challenging to drive and everything. And now yep. today it's uh, kind of the reverse. You know, it's a, a second career after Formula One. And you know, you're seeing these questions being weighed by some of the younger guys like Pato Ward, um, uh, Colton Herta, and everybody. You know, you think about like, uh, Colton had a serious offer 
uh, well, at least Andretti had a, a potential, you know, serious opportunity to go buy up uh, Sauber and go race there. And I mean, the thinking was put Colton in one of those cars and everything. And I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, the point is, is like yeah, the the cars, you know, you know, they're they're not as fast as what they used to be, of course. But I mean, there's still you know plenty of racing. They're still competitive. You can still get into a car uh, and be expect to be reasonably competitive if, if you're a really good driver. So, uh, you know, like there's the balance of that. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not as good as what it, or, you know, as fast and nimble or whatever, but it provides good competition, good show. Uh, and it has a lot of balance. And, you know, we've said it before, you know, we think IndyCar probably has the best racing overall uh, across the racing, all, you know, all the different racing series, you know, Formula One might have the, the star power, the pizzazz, the, the technology, the speeds and everything, but you know, any cars competitions, I you know feel like it's, you know, second to none. So uh, it provides that opportunity having a, a spec chassis. And, and I mean, obviously you'd like to see differentiation in the, in the chassis, like, you know, it's currently Delara uh, uh, supplying the chassis and everything. And you'd like to see it go back to what it was, but you know, with the way costs are these days in racing, it's uh, really hard to foresee that. So, um, you know, with all, all that, you know, being said, I mean, um, I mean, it, it is a, there's a little bit of perspective behind that and everything, but at the same time, um, you know, I think you still have to appreciate the competition that IndyCar has and the, with uh, the type of car formula that they do have. Yeah. And it's something that you, you have to consider now that they, I mean, it may become a topic of conversation as we're moving towards some of the adjustments, changes, a the hybridization, they're going to have uh, electric, whatever come in next year, but the reality of the world is um, they're doing with what they can, with what they have. Um, hopefully the car doesn't become like really, really brutal uh, to drive and you're able to provide a good product. I mean, there's going to be certain races they go to like Texas and be a shit show, but most of the races, most of these tracks, they have the data, even with the added weight, I would hope they could still put on a good show. And then you also add the notion of the increased coverage um, NBC, so more network coverage, but then also you have Peacock that'll be showing a lot of content this year, um, more content, I would think, which will actually help whatever the heck the situation is with these cars and be more cars out there. Maybe the heavier the car, the more durable they are, more likely it is to get somebody to actually want to go buy one, um, even in this climate that we're in, um, deeper field. Uh, that kind of goes to like the Tatiana Calderon announcement uh, that came out where she's going to be running road and street circuits for AJ Foyt in the third car, number 11. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood will be making uh, his IndyCar debut running the legendary 14 car, Dalton Kellett's in the four. So then they run the 11 for Calderon, uh, who has ran all over the world, basically in different formulas open wheel formulas and sports cars uh, ran for the Richard Mill team in uh, WEC all woman team. And uh, she's had money and she's kind of moved around to, to ran super formula in Japan, ran formula two GP two. She had an interesting career. She's from Colombia, So she has backing akin to other uh, Colombian drivers, uh, not of the, I mean, not, of course, not of the ilk of Juan Pablo Montoya, but then that's a different level when you're talking about Juan Pablo Montoya anyway. Um, but, uh, we'll see what she's able to do. Uh, rumors are that, um, 
Captain America, Ryan Hunter Ray, might be in discussions to uh, drive the ovals, which would mean you'd get another shot at Indy, you know, if they can make the show, of course. Um, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, that's to be determined in regards to what will happen uh, with that uh, situation. And um, I've been just to Grissini Racing. Okay. Yeah, that's Ineo Bastaini. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll see what happens with that car. Um, this field just gets deeper and deeper. You're thinking about how Ganassi is going to be running five, what is it, I think five full-time or four full-time cars, and you're going to run a fifth car for Tony Kanan at Indy. Andretti, they have four full-time cars, and then you're going to run six at Indy. You have Penske, it's going to run three, but they're only going to run three uh, as of now, I guess. Um, uh, there's an extra Honda engine lease, supposedly. Um, I have to thank Phil Clark, someone I follow on Twitter we, with all these IndyCar tidbits here. The, um, there's a lot to get into, and the IndyCar season starts in just over a month. So testing's going to be coming up. A lot of discussions will be going on with that. Um, in general, the Porsche, or I mean the Peugeot 9X8 um, that uh, came uh, with uh, the initial pictures, they said didn't have a rear wing. And now at least um, they're running. They ran test uh, at Aragon. Um, it looks like here it was a Portimao. Yeah, Aragon and Spain. Uh they're to go and run without that wing based on what they believe will be enough downforce. Um, so they're not going to run it. So that'll be interesting. They have to run a race or have to commit to running sometime this year prior to the uh, Le Mans 24 hours to actually be able to run the 24 hours of Le Mans. So that'll be um, interesting to see when they go and make that call uh, and when they end up going and running. We've seen good, we've seen bad. In regards to showing up at Le Mans, um, the Nissan uh, GTR front engine car that basically was a flame out in real life, but ended up being a great sim racing car is an example of that. Um, yeah, so we'll go from there to a little bit of uh, NASCAR. Uh, we got Formula One stuff. We got we did some Formula One. We talked about sports cars. We talked about Indy cars. We can go and get into NASCAR. Uh, the entry list for the Clash, the Bushlight Clash, is out. All the chartered cars are entered because probably that's part of the money and the deal they have to do. Um, you'll get to see a lot of the. You'll see the new teams, new changes, whatever that are that are taking place. Uh, Thirty-six cars. And um, in a quarter, what is it, a quarter mile track, you'll see the likes of uh, Kurt Busch making his Toyota debut with uh, 2311. You'll see uh, Ty Dillon return to the Cup Series. Landon Kess will be driving to 77, uh, along with dovetailing his full-time ride in the uh, number 10 for Colleague. Oh, Richards in the lone uh, JTG Doherty car. Todd Gillen. Yeah, Har Todd Gillen and Harrison Burton are running for Rookie of the Year. Justin Ailey was denied chance to run for Rookie of the Year, but he ran nearly the entire season last year, so it kind of cancels himself out in that sense. Uh, let's see. Did did they actually change crew, crew chiefs for Kyle Busch? It looks like it. That's interesting because he had... Um, ben Bayshore. Yeah, he had Ben Bayshore last year, 
So, hmm. um, I don't remember them saying that they'd gotten rid of Ben Bayshore, but I don't know. Maybe I missed it. The AJ Allmayer is going to be running that uh, quote star car. I have a hard time saying it's a star car or whatever when you have you know inbred dipshit Noah Gagson driving it, but. Priest will be driving the 15 for Rick Ware multiple races this year as part of his deal with Stuart Haas Racing and a likely scenario of him taking over the 10 car. And uh, the Cody Ware announced he's going to run the full Cup Series this season, so uh, that'll be something. Uh, other than that, you have Blickensdurfer is making his debut as crew chief for the 10. It amazes me how that guy keeps on getting jobs and, you know, whatever. Now, Trent Owens will be going to the 31 car for Justin Haley and colleague. Blake Harris making his crew chief debut with McDowell. Shiplet, or no, not Shiplet. Jeremy Donley will be making his cup debut as a crew chief. Dave Allens is making his cup debut, both of those for Petty GMS for Ty Dillon and Eric Jones, respectively. Uh, Billy Scott moves over to the 45 to work with Kyle, Kurt Busch again. Um, and Bill and Carly, Leslie, and Travis Mack, and all that is the same. The um, other guys, all that, you have Matt McCall, Brad Keselowski, that whole combination, brand new. Brad Keselowski is an owner now, driving the six. Matt McCall and basically the whole one team from Ganassi. A lot of the one team from Ganassi moving over. Um, the 42 team basically taking over what is what now will now be the one car. And the one in the 99 will be Trackhouse racing and then um Sindrick. We talked about yeah, Sindrick and Harrison Burton will be the and uh Todd Gillen will be three rookies running for Rookie of the Year. So a Ford will win uh, Rookie of the Year. So that'll be nice. Uh, who, which Ford it is, probably be Cindric. But uh, there will be three chances on that one. Um, Brian Wilson, because uh, Brian Wilson moves into the crew chief role at the 21 from the 22 Xfinity program that's now defunct. And after trying to remember... Uh, yeah, he's going over to Jonathan Hassler was the crew chief. He's moving over to Ryan Blaney in the 12 car. So that is that. So we'll get into more details as the clash comes along. It's a couple, it's like a week or so, a uh, couple weeks away here. So um, like three weeks, I think. Yeah, it's like two weeks from now um, when we'll definitely talk about it. We'll preview it in more detail um, along with recapping the Rolex and all that stuff. So we'll get into that in more detail. Uh, rumors about the money team, but then there's always rumors about the money team. It kind of they seem like they're a Ponzi scheme. Um, if there's a, if you want to, I mean, they're, they're the epitome of a Ponzi scheme, I guess. Uh, how that yeah. whole thing works, but yeah. Do you think the money team? Do you think that that car will be good at blocking? You know, versus passing. You know, like Mayweather was good at defense and. And that's what his fights were. They're always defensive battles and yeah. never really threw a lot of punches. Yeah. There he'll 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 be out there and be a freaking moving chicane. Uh and then and run and run around and, and lay on people and then he'll act like he's he's some amazing box. I mean, and he'll get he'll get high percentage blows by going and taking out Hendrick Motorsports cars uh, or something like that, or Gibbs cars. Um, I don't know. It depends on who pays him. Cause obviously if Floyd, he'll do whatever the hell it takes when it comes to the money. Um, Cause they're just going to be like a furniture. Like it's all, it's like a Mike Harmon car 
feel like Mike Harmon or some other like Jay Robinson, some white trash salad gimmick is going to be involved in that whole deal. And then Mayweather can come in like a dumbass and finally get smacked for once. That'd be nice. Uh, since he always goes for cookie cutter sugar, he he always goes for the 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 freaking softballs. Takes people past their prime. If he actually, if he had the balls to actually show up to NASCAR, it'd be something. It'd be the first time he actually got humbled for once, um, and actually had to work up, work from the bottom up. But I don't think that's gonna happen. They're gonna, his car is gonna be in a ditch like that uh, dude, whatever his name was, who got arrested and indicted. And there was Gen Six bodies in the back of his backyard or whatever. Uh, that big burly dude who looked like Shrek. Um, Whatever the fuck, because that's like the go-to thing now. Because it was a Barkley called Shaq Shrek. It was a, somebody one of my buddies called another like one of the bowling people, a bowling friend, another dude that he's a big dude, and he called him Shrek, and he just sat there and gave him a look. I'm like, he gave him the same look as Shaq gave Charles. Or no, actually, Charles called him Shrek, and then EJ called him Shrek, and it, it became even more hilarious because. EJ just throws daggers at all times because he's just one of the greatest people ever. But that's beside the point. Um, we'll um, change over to the Chili Bowl. Last week was the uh, Chili Bowl. The coverage on uh, Mav TV sucked, and um, the they spent the first half an hour of the TV program showing vehicles going around prepping the track. Then you had the main, whatever, C mains and the B mains and what Chase Briscoe got knocked out in the C. Um, he got in an incident, I forget who basically parked on the first, in the third and fourth corner. And he did, had a damage on his right front corner. He was in a transfer position until I think two to go and lost out and uh, got knocked one spot out of the transfer in the C to move over to the B. And the pace wasn't really there. Maybe he would have had the pace if he didn't have a damaged car. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to um, advance out of the sea. Um, I mean, there to consider uh, what he, he he was in C feature one. Um, Alex Bowman actually um, went and got through that C feature um, to go into the B. Spencer Baston, Ronnie Gardner um, made it through. Or no, Bronny Gardner was the last one to make it through there. Carson Quapple, uh, amongst the guys that did make it through, Nick Drake. I mean, there was a, these are the C mains were loaded. I mean, you think about the the story was the fact that a five time Chili Bowl champion, uh, Sammy Swindell, went and went through the soup. He was in an N main yeah so they get they got rid of the cues they didn't even have to have q they were talking about going in q features but they only they got rid of the cues because they didn't have with all this whoever was left some of them cars that were left couldn't make it so they're in the p of features and um basically early in the morning you had sammy swindell was able to go in advance from seventh to third from the n Finished third again in the M, second in his L, third in the K, uh, fourth in his J, got to top six, and he fell in the I, um, crashed in the um, crashed out in the I feature. So he was running the soup, set a record, uh, tied a record with uh, JJ Ailey and a couple other people to go up six 
uh, mains to try to go and move through the soup after a brutal qualifying night. Um, but, you know, it's a legend. Tells you how great Sammy Swindell is. Uh, still has it at whatever, 900 years old. So um, God bless him. Uh, I mean, some of the other people, I mean, I'll just move it back towards, you know, in, in the stuff we saw on TV. I mean, you had the likes of def- former Chili Bowl champion Tim McCready didn't even make it through the C. You had, I mean, Corey Day ended up going from the C into the A and won Rookie of the Year. Alex Bramian through Steve Buckwalter, Northeast guy, Pennsylvania guy. Zach Dom, Darren Pittman from Oklahoma, former World of Outlaws champion. The names are, I mean, in these mains are crazy that didn't even make it through. Um, you know, Chris Bell won the pole shuffle. Larson only qualified seventh. And uh, oh, Richard actually was, um, once they did the pole shuffle, uh, they did the pole shuffle after the uh, B, you know, no, it was after, yeah, so it's actually the top two from each of the five days. So, oh, Richard actually made it in through his uh, qualifying night. Tyler Courtney, Sunshine, Kevin Thomas Jr., Larson, Tanner Carrick, Buddy Kofoy, Justin Grant, Rico Abreu, Tanner Thorson, and Christopher Bell from 10 to 1. The B features saw uh, seven cars make it through from each one. Zeb Wise, Thomas Meserol, Kobe Copeland, Chris Windham, who's a beast, Chase Johnson, Tim Buckwalter, and Brady Bacon, um, also a beast. And, uh, you know, Alex Bowman was a few spots short there. And Brad Sweet, World of Outlaws champion, based in, you know, you talk about what is it, was it Elliot flipped over, Clyde went and had a flip. Connor Daly had issues wrecked, but he did better than he did the year before. So um, he loves that kind of racing. Kaylee Bryson's the first woman to ever advance to the Chili Bowl A feature. Uh, Blake Hahn finished second in that uh, B after finishing third in his preliminary night. It kind of, I don't understand the notion of only advancing two. I, I think you should advance three out of each. Um, a feature, and if you have what five nights, five times three, fifteen, you're gonna have twenty four cars in the A feature. It still leaves nine cars or whatever. You can go and um, go from there, and then like uh, I, I mean, I I don't know. There there has to be like oh, there's nine cars, or you can make it make it twenty five starters, and and then at that point you do the top five. I think that's fine if you're doing top fives and other mains. I don't get why the top seven makes it out of you're doing the top five uh, from the G to the G to the C, and then like you do top six and top five, but only in the B feature do you do top seven. Honestly, it should be less. You should put more emphasis on you're putting a lot of emphasis on actually doing well on your qualifying night. You should follow that. And if you finish on the podium, you've done well enough to actually make the A main at that point. You know how you do in the shuffle is whatever that that's fine. You have to go through your shuffle, you qualify. And then after that, you deal with the cars that make it through the B main. I would that mean that there would be some less, there would be a few less drivers that really have the talent or the cars maybe. But when you consider that there is a record number of cars in this field of 381 all time record, I don't think you're really hard up for finding cars. I could have competed uh, this week, this past weekend in the, uh, 
Chili Bowl. Um, before I go further, Josh, were you able to watch any of the coverage or uh, see the race at all, how that was presented? Because it definitely was questionable. I, mean, I didn't really hear much about the presentation. I mean, I, I heard people complain, but I didn't see it that much. And uh, I didn't really tune into the race until about six laps to go. Uh, there was a caution and they were getting ready for the restart. And I tuned in right in time for the finish. Uh, so, you know, uh, what's his name? Tanner Thorson. Uh, Tanner Thorson. Yeah. Tanner Thorson go out and uh, get it from Chris Bell. Chris Bell, I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe Bell would have uh, had a little bit more uh, there, but, you know, he kind of faded away on the final restart. And then he started to make a little bit of a charge at the end, but just wasn't quite close enough. Um, and I, Thought he would have maybe used more of the high line, but you know Thorson was already on the cushion uh, there. So um, yeah, I mean he's a good good finish, I guess, for uh, you know people who didn't want to see uh, Chris Bell or uh, Kyle Larson win. And yeah, a little bit shocking there with Kyle Larson also because he won the last two events and Chris Bell won the, uh, the three previous events before that. So well, uh, yeah, a little shocking. Larson wasn't quite up there to uh, get a good finish, but it was still a good result for. Uh, for him, good result for Rico as well, uh, you know, in, in that race. So, um, you know, it was great, entertaining week of uh, dirt racing, um, you know, especially uh, if you're a NASCAR fan trying to get into it. You know, you saw, of course, all the regular NASCAR stars and everything. And Brian Newman was there. Uh, Chase Elliott, of course, saw his flip. Um, and uh, you got to see uh, Alex Bowman as well. So uh, in the Ally dirt car there. So, yeah, it was a great race and, um, you know, glad people were able to um watch and everything unfortunately you know the coverage isn't always the best but there's always you know the opportunities though i mean if you were able to get uh flow racing uh seemed like i don't know if their coverage is any better or if it was the same as the much uh, better tv but it was probably much much better better. so a lot more detail supposedly i mean i couldn't afford it but yeah you know the fact is they were talking about details about every driver like they knew life stories on some of these drivers and you're talking about 381 of them so there's a story yeah. with every one of them um they presented it and it sounded like percentages and everything were higher than ever before uh with how they presented how they did things so i mean maybe that's the move um, maybe they move the flow racing people over to the mav tv production at least for the saturday night show that would probably or something you know some yeah, aspect some of, of it. joint yeah coverage or something you know, to get everybody because, yeah, it seems like also that uh, flow racing, obviously, they cover uh, dirt racing on a week to week basis uh, and everything. And, you know, Map TV, they maybe they don't cover all the dirt races and only cover like some of it. So obviously there's uh, some, you know, difference in coverage and everything. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I would like to see, yes, maybe in the future, some kind of collaboration or something like you said. Yeah, I mean, we're it would be something to see. I know their coverage left a lot to be desired. The fact that the long the amount of downtime was definitely weak. I mean, it was even a problem. Tony used to work uh, work in the track every day um, prior to meeting Leah, and they would have these long down periods, and it's so bad, and it doesn't present well on TV. And I don't know if it was a case. I think. The reality was when it used to be on TNN back in the heyday, they used to tell stories or they had people that could tell stories, whether it was, of course, Dave Argerbright or, you know, whoever it may be, Steve Evans or someone like that. And then you had Ralph Shaheen and Brad Doty or whoever with Brad Doty, and they could go and have that interplay. But Ralph and Brad had that 
for many years together. So you didn't mind that. It's like Supercross, it's the same thing. They have features, they do different features and things. Even though Supercross doesn't really have the juice that it had before. And it's something I need to probably, we need to probably talk about because um, they've been running for a couple of weeks here and I haven't talked about it. Uh, that's a good thing. I just reminded myself of that. The, you know, they, they treat their downtime a lot different uh, than what other series do. So, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's just a bad, bad presentation. When you consider the Chili Bowl is basically the Super Bowl of uh, midget racing and USAC or whatever. I mean, just midget racing in general, uh, grassroots dirt. I mean, they had the Tulsa shootout and they had 11, 1200 cars. Kyle Bush was there with his son. All these other guys were there and, and ladies were there. It's a cool place. I mean, they didn't talk like talk to Emmett Hahn. Like, dude, it's I was a, I mean, I mean, I went to school for journalism. When you consider the amount of crap that was going on, you could have done a, considering they do a feature on Danica Patrick anytime she sneezes or takes a shit, you could have went and talked about Kaylee Bryson for five or 10 minutes. The girl actually can drive and she's not a whore, you know, like, and Toyota's kind of like banking on her and Buddy Kofoid, really, um, to go and get good. And then Ford and Chevy will take both of them. But that, you know, we talked about that last week on the roundtable. But, you know, Kaylee Bryson, pretty girl, drives like an absolute beast. Buddy Kofoid, sharp kid, huge nose, kid can drive a fucking race car. You know, why aren't we talking about those guys? You could talk about Rico all day. I'll sit there and I'll watch Rico Abreu all day. I don't care. I'm a mark. That's fine. I'm a Rico Abreu mark. I can, I have it right behind me. I've had it right behind me on the show. I can't do it because I, yeah, right there. I have my die cast. I have shirts. I have multiple shirts. I bought his signed crap. I'm borderline actually thinking about getting something that says rowdy energy on it because he sponsors Rico Abreu. I don't like Kyle Bush, but I'm a Rico Abreu fan. That's how much I'm a fan of Rico Abreu. It's you're, you're making me have to make these decisions that's how good he is and the dude is like he's like genuine down to earth i mean his dad's rich whatever and it's part of why he's able to fund a career but he's been able to organically build all the sponsorships build a great fan base it's one of the best fan bases in the sport and now he's gonna be running more or less being an outlaw in a sense running all kinds of 410 races running midgets running whatever that's what it's all about right there you know talk about him Everyone, they wanted to talk about Chris. They want to talk about Larson and Chris Bell. Yeah, they've won the last five Chili Bowls. I get it. But who was the guy that won before that? It was Rico Abreu. And he went and run a truck and NASCAR never gave him and Door Sport never gave him a shot. They ran him right out the door and he ran right and he went right back to where he where he knew he was. He was best suited anyway. Um, and they and Kyle Busch stole his sponsor, uh, a safe light. And they've had safe light ever since. But that's beside the point. But. I guess that's what it is. Kyle Bush is like, yeah, I stole your sponsor, so now I'll sponsor you. So he's trying to make up for all the fuck ups he's done, which probably will take the rest of his life because he's like a permanent fuck up. But that must be a Kyle, a Bush family characteristic, not just for the Bush racing family, but um, the getting into the A main. I mean, you talked about uh, Alex Bowman there, Josh, and he had CJ Leary among, on his team and CJ Leary got in through the B feature number two where Bryson won over Blake Hahn, CJ Leary, Shane Golubic, Corey Day, Dylan Welsh, announcer Dylan Welsh, um, and his uh, fiance 
Um, why the hell am I blanking on her name now? The she's the announcer. She used to race. Uh, Hannah Newhouse. Hannah Newhouse. Yeah, yeah. Hannah Newhouse. So um, that was all over. You know, like oh, he's an announcer. They went and talked to him, and he was all business. He was all business. It was whole. It was great. It's like Dylan Welsh is so on point. He's the absolute opposite of his dad in every way, shape, and form. He doesn't look like a tool. He actually can grow a beard. He actually knows what he's talking about. And then when he gets in a race car, he's like a he's a race car driver. And he's like, he's talking like a race car driver. I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, I've, I haven't been in, in a car in a year, but this team and he's got it all down. I that's the thing for as awful as his father is at announcing anything. Dylan Welsh is an absolute beast. If NBC does not sign him to like a long term deal, they are wrong. They they're stupid because they could use him in IndyCar. They could use him in NASCAR. They could use him at the fucking Olympics. I don't care. Whatever. He could call some shit at the Olympics. That He's that good. Um, and a freaking guy can drive a race car, too. That's what's what's even greater about him. Uh, so I was I was happy for Dylan Welsh that he made the A, the a um, as somebody who isn't racing at all. He's racing a couple, two, three times a year. So and in this case, he hadn't run since last year. So it's. He's been very busy, but he uh, had a rough A feature, but in the end, he made it. To make the A feature at the Chili Bowl when there's 380-something cars, it'll be over four, probably over 400 next year. And you're one of like 20, 24 cars is pretty good. And you're around all these guys that are, and ladies that are champions, that have won in all, that have won triple crowns, you know, all, all that. Tanner Thorson. There's two people they were talking about that have been great drivers that have not won this race. It was Tanner Thorson and Tyler Courtney. Well, Tanner Thorson uh, took himself off that list and uh, went out there, started second. There wasn't the racing track. The track itself wasn't as ideal to uh, being able to maneuver the traffic. It was hard. Bell was able to dominate basically the first two thirds of the race. And then that last third, traffic, different uh, dynamics happen there, cautions, where Thorson's car kind of um, uh, kind of went, it was like the, went and got in, the groove, everything was good, where you had to work the low line, that Danny Lasoski line, the cushion really wasn't there, it was more like a berm than a cushion, um, even with the amount of moisture they were putting on the track, it wasn't enough really to make a high line work, but you could do it, but you had to ride it the right way, that was a challenge. Thorson was able to answer that challenge and be the first guy, uh, a, you know, I guess since Kevin Swindell, um, you know, as a full-time dirt guy uh, at that point. I mean, uh, Kevin Swindell was already starting to dovetail into NASCAR and other things before his untimely injury um, took place. Thorson's a grinder, so it's a cool deal to see him win that race after Larson last two years and Bell three years in a row before that. And Rico had two in a row too. So uh, different winners. Good. You look at that after, I mean, it was uh, for most of the week, it was a Keith Coons motorsports benefit. Chris Bell won his night. Rico Abreu won his night. Buddy Kofoid won his night. Tanner Carrick won his night. So those were four of the five um, winners of the A mains 
and I'm trying to th- remember who won the other A um, on uh, on during the week off the top of my head. I'll probably just go back to the um, go back to the yeah Justin Grant. So Justin Grant was the non uh, uh, Keith Coons Motorsports winner. And fifth, yes, and he that's the fifth win in the last six years for Justin Grant. So I guess Justin Grant can now be the guy as the best driver to never win the Chili Bowl that's out there right now. There's probably other guys, too. I'm just glad Tony's got two. Uh, so that's um, pretty cool. He's in, um, he's in uh, good company in regards to his history and the greatness that he has in this sport and he did it with Keith Coons as well actually with Mopar and Keith Coons which is a quick segue to NHRA since um it officially was announced which I think was kind of given away with certain photos at the at the team facility that um wifey and um Matt Hagen will be driving Mopar supported cars uh, uh Leah Pruitt will be driving a Mopar top fuel car, and then uh, Matt Hagen will be driving Mopar funny car in this uh, year's NHRA uh, championships in top fuel funny car accordingly. So that'll be, uh, they'll be, and they're trying to, um, they're, you know, you have Dickie Venables on the funny car side and Neil Strasbaugh on the top fuel side they're familiar dsr people but you know having to build a team from scratch having to build all that and get ready um oh wow terry i i mean i described my my craps as terry mcmillan so now that he's actually coming back is interesting so we'll see if he goes and blows up crap and lays oil down uh doug foley and tell you oh he's in that uh philip oh that's a cool looking car for uh justin ashley you know semi trailer tracking and sensor technology but that's a cool looking car i mean Justin, his dad mike ashley businessman knew how to get sponsorships and uh justin ashley had a great run last year uh competing so he's going to be there as well Nitro Time Machine. Yeah, so yeah, Dodge SRT and Mopar partner with Tony Stewart racing for 2022 season. Yeah, Leo was looking good for that uh, um, premiere or whatever. The Dodge Power Brokers. It's all like silver, black, and red. So that's really cool. Uh, going into coming back a few days ago now, you've got Big Daddy Don Garlett celebrated his 90th birthday. Uh, one of the greatest mo- racing drivers has ever been. So happy uh, belated birthday to uh, Big Daddy, uh, one of the goats, uh, flipping cars, blowing his foot off and coming up with the rear engine dragster, all the crap. I mean, he flipped his car at English Town and in 86 and drove it right back to the start-finish line. And that was the catalyst for Antron Brown to go and start wanting to be a racing driver. And now he's a top fuel owner this year, too, um, along with Ron Caps being a funny car owner. Lots of stuff going on. NHRA is going to be in our discussions a little more this year, mainly because Tony owns a, owns two teams, so I kind of have to cover it um, with my bias. Uh, February, same weekend, I think, as the Daytona 500 will be the winter nationals. So get into it then. Uh, let me go into... 
AMA Supercross, the Monster Energy AMA Supercross season uh, so far. It's early, of course. A couple of rounds in yet A1. And then uh, the first race at Oakland. We're going to do like that. Um, round one was um, Angel Stadium A1. The Go and scroll through the official results. Ken Roxon won A1 uh, over Cooper Webb, the defending series champion, and Justin Barsha, who had won A1, I think, four years in a row. Uh, Ken Roxon led Lights the Flag, and um, Webb, then Barsha, Marvin Muscan, Chase Sexton, the rookie, get qualified uh, number one in uh, free qual whatever, I forget what the hell they call that uh, free qualifying practice, or I don't know what the hell, because it always annoys me when uh, Ricky Carmichael says that. Um, finished fifth, Eli Tomac in his debut for Yamaha, finished sixth, Malcolm Stewart, seventh, Joey Savacci, eighth, and Aaron Plessinger, ninth, and Jason Anderson, and tenth in his uh, Kawasaki debut with his teammate, Adam Ciancerullo, eleventh. So Malcolm Stewart is on the Husqvarna. Uh, he's part of the Husqvarna team now. Savachi, Plessinger are teammates to Cooper Webb. Moosecan, yeah. And then, yeah, Moosecan. They're all part of that, I think, KTM team. So um, that's interesting. Uh, uh, interesting situation with that. I mean, Red Bull, yeah. You know, so KTM, so KTM. That's fine. I got through this right here. Ken Roxon, uh, yeah. Um, Malcolm Stewart's part of Rockstar and Energy Husqvarna. Aaron Plessinger is part of Red Bull KTM. Trying to look at this right here. Where the hell is Marvin Muskan? Like, I don't get why Marvin Muskan doesn't come up right over here. Um, unless I'm forgetting his number or something. Marvin Muskan. Yeah, they don't even have him on there. How the heck, how the heck does that work? That makes no sense. But yeah, you have, it's, uh, well, I'll get in a, I'll look into that a little bit more later. <clears throat> I'm doing a Howard Stern on that burping on Mike. Uh, last week was in Oakland and saw Jason Anderson win his first race <clears throat> since his championship year in 2018. Uh, took over for Eli Tomac, so the pressure was there. So a big win for him over Aaron, Aaron Plessinger on the KTM and Justin Barsha on the gas gas uh, number 51 Eli Tomac finished fourth Malcolm Stewart fifth Dylan Ferrandez Cooper Webb Marvin Muscan Chase Sexton and Dean Wilson the top 10 Joey Savacci um, 11 CNC Rulo 12 rocks and after winning a one finishes 13th Chase Sexton again qualified uh, on pole uh, in timed qual yeah timed qualifying practice which is stupid. Uh, oh, there's a New Jersey guy there. Well, Hartmaft. Hartranft from Brick. And then Justin Barsha leads the points by three over Anderson and Webb, and five over Plessinger, six over Ken Roxon and Eli Tomac, eight over Marvin Muskin and Malcolm Stewart, and 10 over Chase Sexton. So, it's still relatively close, of course, two rounds in only relative to how things kind of separate as the 
as the uh, year goes on. Yeah, there's Marvin Muskan. Yeah, he wasn't even on the list the week before. So, Rocky Mountain ATV. Uh, yeah, Red Bull KTM, Red Bull KTM, Red Bull KTM. Joey Savacci's Rocky Mountain in, um, KTM. Okay, there you go. Uh, with Shane McElrath and Max Anstey. All right, so we'll... We'll see what happens this weekend at uh, San Diego for round three of the championship uh, before they move to A2 for round four. Go to NBC and or NBC, Peacock, USA, whatever channel they're going to go and uh, render a Supercross championship on. See what goes on there in the standings for 250 East right now. Uh, Colt Nichols. Leads Joe Shimoda and yeah, two it's from last two fifty West. Oh, so <clears throat> Christian Craig, Hunter Lawrence, Seth Ham Hammaker, Michael Moseman, and Vince Freezy are your top five. Or that's from Oakland. Oh, okay. That's confusing. I'm just looking for oh, that's two fifty east. Oh, so they haven't even run yet. Oh, okay. All right, my fault. Uh, Christian Craig, Hammaker, Lawrence, Moseman, Freezy are the top five. March Bank, Shimoda, uh, sixth and seventh. Uh, Shimoda's already 20 points back. March Banks is 18. We'll see what happens with that here in um, San Diego. Uh, do you have any, is there anything else you think, uh, Josh, that we didn't cover? I think we've covered. Yeah, I think we've covered everything. So let's yeah. go to the football. Let's go football, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the playoffs started last week. The Cincinnati Bengals go out there in their usual 4.30 Saturday time slot and win their first playoff game since 1991. Um, I know, Josh, you were not even a thought um, when uh, that game actually happened. Uh, so me, I was six or five and, and about to turn six. So that tells you how long that playoff drought, winning drought had was. But Joe Burrow went out there. The Raiders made him work for it. But the but Joe Burrow, you know that offense is sick, and they're going to be around for a while. Uh, hopefully, Mike Brown has the foresight to actually pay them because if he does, they have a winner there, just like they did in the late eighty in the eighties, um, because their quarterback's a beast. Yeah, and so then. Yeah, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I I don't know why, but no, yeah, it was a it was a great. I mean, for the for or for the uh, uh, Bengals and everything, and yeah, uh, I think they had control most of the game in that game. Um, the Raiders are struggling. They had a lot of miscues throughout the entire game, and yet they still managed to try to make a comeback there within a touchdown at the end. But you know, I think the Bengals um, they had it all in hand. And I mean, the game changing play was the touchdown that people thought wasn't a touchdown because uh, the whistles uh, weren't blown at the right time. But um, I mean, it was clear from the beginning that, or you know, from the video that it was a touchdown. Um, but you would like to see the officials get it right. And that's been a topic all years. And it seems like been a topic for the last couple of years is the NFL officiating being uh, continuously poor. Uh, and you wonder if they're ever going to fix that. And I do find it interesting that uh, the officials in that game aren't going to be used for the rest of the playoffs. That's the officials came up all weekend. There's supposed to be a 
best graded, the best graded officials, and they're all kind of being brought together for the playoffs. The reality is the officiating has been bad all year. It's been bad for years in general. All the good ones go to TV, or like the really good ones go to TV. The meh ones go to TV because there's way more money, even if they suck. So, I mean, Jerome Boger was uh, in, I think he called that game. So that tells you all you need to know. Um, You'll say, oh, well, you have a bias because he's, no, he sucks. He sucked for for forever. Uh, He sucked when he called the Harbaugh Bowl and basically Ray Lewis put a gun to his head said, I'll do you the way I murdered two other people. And um, that was part of the reason why that game went the way it did. It also helps Greg Roman sucks um, as a play caller and uh, basically buried the Niners for the first half. And a kick returner, a kick return also should have buried them. They, you can come up with whatever you want to talk about. Oh, the electricity went out. But, you know, Baltimore had all the momentum. They could have buried the Niners. They didn't. Colin Kaepernick, who's been exiled out of the league. You know, we're talking about Martin Luther King Day a few days ago. Um, somebody who has been outspoken and um, for rights and whatever, you know, following through on, you know, social injustice, uh, whether you agree with him or not, the guy could play. And when you consider some of the guys that were playing this year, Colin Kaepernick could play better than them. And if you want to deny that, you're either an inbred dipshit or completely in in oblivious to football uh, ability, um, the kid could play. He took the Niners to the Super Bowl on his back. Uh, they were behind in the NFC Championship game, Matt Ryan. That was when Matt Ryan was good. So we're talking about only nearly a decade ago. It was a decade ago. And brought him back in the Super Bowl. Um, and then Jerome Boger and them didn't make the call that they should have uh, in the end zone uh, to give the Niners another chance. Because Bashadi's in the back pocket of uh, Roger Goodell and all that. I mean, I made those comments to Phil, uh, our guest last week, Phil Spain, on Twitter anyway. But in the end, I'll, I'll never get over that game. I'll never get over the game a couple of years ago. Um, until the Niners win a Super Bowl, I, I'll never get. Again, I, I don't think I'll ever get over. Getting to the game and losing sucks. I mean, Lou being the worst team in the league sucks. So, Josh, I I feel for you in that sense. It's got to be brutal. And then when you don't, when you have a rudderless ship ownership and people running it, I've went through that for most of the last twenty plus years in football sense, and now I'm dealing with it in all all sports, basically outside of hockey. So it's a bad look. Uh, I'm trying to remember. The second game was the Buffalo game, and Buffalo yeah, just Buffalo like anally annihilated um, the New England Patriots. Um, Josh Allen did Josh Allen things. Um, Mac Jones looked exactly what Mac Jones should look like, which is average. Um, they had no answer for Buffalo there. Um, the real test for Buffalo will come this week. Uh, Josh Allen, though, proved once again why he's a franchise guy. You go and give the somebody like that the ability, the raw ability, the keys. Let him work through his work through his lumps and take it or take his lumps and you know make bad throws, bad interceptions, turnover, fumbles. And by year three, he became an All Pro. I mean, I think he was an All Pro. I don't know, considering Nick Bosa wasn't an All Pro this year, which tells you, you know, I don't know what people are voting on, but. 
this year, I mean, they went through some adversity, but in this spot against New England, they've kind of taken to- taken charge of that division. And Miami is scuffling. They don't have a coach. Um, their GM's kind of a wishy-washy bitch. The Jets are rebuilding. They're in the second year of their rebuild. So New England going in, getting destroyed the way they did by Buffalo uh, means Buffalo dominates that division no matter what happens this weekend. Um, the NFL wants Patrick Mahomes to win. So, you know, you'll see whatever you're going to see there. In the uh, Sunday combination, uh, Tampa Bay dominated Philly. Troy Aikman emphasized how much he hates black quarterbacks uh, with some of the uh, targeting he did on Jalen Hurts. To be fair, Jalen Hurts is not a great quarterback. Um, Even if Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman want everyone to believe that, He's not a quarterback. He's a runner that's an athlete that can throw a ball. Now, there's a big difference because Tom Brady, not his best game, but in the end, they're missing so many players. If Tom Brady makes the Super Bowl with the way their injured list is and the way things are, we don't need further confirmation he's a GOAT, but, you know. Well, that, he's probably the luckiest of all time. No, I mean, that's fine, so too. That's fine, too. I mean, in the end, uh, luck, I mean, you can't. Luck is luck. It's the reason why MW55 has two Daytona 500 wins and Tony Stewart has none. It's the reason why fucking Eddie Cheever has an Indy 500 win and Tony Stewart ha- doesn't have one. It's the reason why Mario Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mario Andretti, the Andretti family has one Indy 500 win. And Michael led more laps than anybody for anybody who's never won the race. John was a finished races. He was a top 10 guy. Mario was had probably should have won three or four. He got screwed out of one in 81. 87, they told him to slow down and the engine broke. But then once Penske got the Chevy engine, none of that should happen. That's convenient. Um, So there's at least two Indy 500s right there. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing about luck. I mean, is I mean, is he I mean, I, I, I've, I've came to realize like hating on Brady is, I mean, you can hate on Brady. Like I'll, I'll, if you're going to hate on Brady, I'll hate on Brady because he's a boy kisser. Um, and he seems like a little pussy, but the fact of the matter is he can, he's, he's a legend on the football field. So whatever he's on the football field, I'll treat him one way. He can't hit a fucking golf ball. I hit a golf ball the way he hits a golf ball and I'm nowhere near as athletic as he is. So, I mean, whatever, I'll take that. I'll take the wins and then I'll give him his credit that he's, that he's due as a guy who watched Joe Montana and that was his, one of his heroes. And he's basically done Joe Montana things. So, I mean, uh, they went and destroyed Philly. Philly didn't really have an answer. Jalen Hurts wasn't a quarterback. He isn't a quarterback, but if you ask um, Howie Roseman and Nick um, Sirianni, they believe that. Um, Troy Aikman was really going in on him, which is kind of that whole Colin Kaepernick rap kind of came up too. He used to do that on Colin Kaepernick too. I have a friend of mine I work with at, and he's a Philly diehard. And I'm like, yo, you heard how Troy was talking about him, right? And he didn't want to say anything. I'm like, and then we walked around. We had to pick up, we have to pick up the kids at the school. And I'm like, you know why he was doing that, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, you know, because he's black. And he's like, well, I won't go to say that. I'm like, he's a black, he's an African-American gentleman. I'm like, well, I'll say it. He's a black guy and he's a runner. He's a run first quarterback. You know, he's not a great thrower. I mean, there's a reason why Jalen Hurts was replaced by Tua Tungvaluwa. I know I mean, Scott Tua is no good either. So <laughs> no, Tua is no good either, but he's a, he's an actual quarterback. There's a difference. He's a quarterback 
that, you know, he thought, you know, I'll be a runner. He think all these left-handed quarterbacks think they're Steve Young. Difference is there's a reason why Steve Young's one of the greatest of all time. Guy took hits like an MFer. That's why, I mean, for all the hits he took and all the concussions he has, he has a law degree, all his other stuff. He wanted to shit for brains. He wanted to shit for brains before he got on concussions. He didn't shit for brains now. I mean, minus the fact he gives like half of his money to like the the whatever the church their church or whatever. But I mean, whatever. Yeah, that's something. That's his personal choice. I'm not going to get into that. He's my favorite player of all time. I watched him throw six touchdowns in his Super Bowl. Um, he's given me plenty of great moments of joy in my early life. I'll always be a Steve Young guy. People want to go and shit on Steve Young. Come at me um, because he's great. And if he was playing now the same way as all these other quarterbacks back in the day, he'd throw for 8,000 yards and he'd run for 2,000 yards because it would be allowed. So it, it would be easy. Um, yeah, that game was kind of garbage. The game, uh, I'll let I'll let you get into this, Josh. It was the most watched wild card game in a decade and a half or some craziness. I knew it would be that because it was Dallas-San Francisco. Um, Dallas only had about two-thirds of their uh, stadium filled with their fans. Dallas did not show up. It was basically a complete cluster on their end. They needed Jimmy Garoppolo to do Jimmy Garoppolo things to make it a game. Uh, Dak Prescott did not play great. Their offense in general didn't have a game plan or didn't have execution. Their defense had no answer for Debo Samuel. Or if you're Mike Robb on NFL Network, Debo Samuels which bothers me like you motherfucker. He's been in the league three years. His name is Debo Samuel. It's not that hard. You get paid way more money than I do. His name is Debo Samuel. Like go fuck yourself. I don't care your Mike Rob report. You Seattle Seahawks fucking bitch motherfucker. He played like shit when he was on the 49ers. He couldn't run a ball from the one yard line in against Arizona on a Monday night football game. I always remember that about Mike Rob. He played like a bitch when he was on the 49ers. Went to the Seattle Seahawks. He goes and gets a ring. And he was sitting out there when freaking Russell Wilson threw that interception to Malcolm Butler. So, and then Bill Belichick in his infinite wisdom benches him in a Super Bowl, which tells you um, how, for as much of a genius he might have been, doesn't know how to handle people. Which is why Tom Brady isn't still isn't there. It should still be there, but he isn't. So that's beside the point. What were your thoughts on the game before I give my thoughts on the game? Um, uh, on the Sunday afternoon, uh, Niner Cowboy game. Well, I mean, I told you this before the show, but I mean, I I think the 49ers, you know, they they dominated that whole game. Their offensive line or defensive line rather, and their offensive line uh, both uh, did pretty well. That was the key to the matchup, I think. You know, defensive line they. They were going after Dak Prescott the whole game, and then offensively, uh, they opening holes in the running game. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, he knows how to uh, scheme up a running game pretty good, and he made effective use of uh, Earl Mitchell and uh, Debo Samuel playing the backfield as well. You know, one thing you got to note about Debo is uh, he's dropped a lot of catches that he should have been expected to catch, and um, you notice that uh, throughout the season they probably started rushing him more, and that's probably why because um. Uh, it's easier, obviously, hand off the ball to him and get him going running. Uh, uh, when he, you know, there are some times when he probably should catch balls that you'd expect him to, but um, so a lot of the target of his share is starting to go for uh, carries rather than catches. But um, you, you know, with the, that game, that was a 
a really good game defensively for San Francisco. You know, of course, uh, yeah, Jimmy threw the pick late in the game and got the uh, Cowboys back in it. But, you know, they, uh, they're they basically about to close out the game anyways. They hand it off to Debo, and he gets up to fourth and in inches. And uh, Jimmy G, I think, actually converted fourth down, but then they called it back for false start. Uh, there, which I thought was kind of weird, but then they punted it, and then uh, San Francisco. I don't know. They, I guess, they're playing soft, but um, I mean, it didn't really matter in the end because as soon as uh, Dak Prescott took off and ran, um, that was basically game over because there's not going to be an, an, enough time to uh, snap the ball. And then, of course, they they didn't get the ball lined up correctly and everything. And then people were, you know, crying and complaining about the officials and everything. But um, that's that was a you know hard to tell situation there. But um, you know, I think the 49ers. Um, uh, I think if they play this right, you know, they could be in, in the Super Bowl, to be honest, because um, the reason why I say this is because I like the way their defense played uh, against uh, Cowboys, against the uh, the Rams two weeks ago to get into the playoffs. Uh, so uh, I like what I saw there. And, um, you know, I think with uh, their matchup here against the Packers, of course, they're going on the road to play in Green Bay. But, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, if, if you got a two score lead above Aaron Rodgers in the fourth quarter, more than likely you're going to win. You know, there's, I mean, I, I know that's, uh, didn't happen for the 49ers earlier this year. Um, cause I remember Sunday night football, they, uh, didn't, uh, they lost at home to Aaron Rodgers, but, um, I think, you know, if you have at least a, a two score lead in the quarter, um, as a winning team, um, going up against Aaron Rodgers, uh, you're, you're more than likely going to win. I mean, look at his record in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, at least up until 2016, he was 0-35 when, uh, losing by at least one point to winning teams in the regular season. So that was uh, up until 2016. He's a little bit improved since then, but and still the record still stands. And I mean, overall, like even like, yeah, up to 2016, he had like a, a seven and 25 record uh, in fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives. Uh, so, you know, if you're able to uh, attack the, the Packers and, and they, they pass the ball a lot too. So, uh, that's their identity is passing the ball. They, they don't, I mean, they, they have two good running backs, but, um, and that they, they do get used, but, um, their identity, like, you know, when you need to run the ball, run the clock down, they seem to like to pass the ball a lot. And, uh, I mean, they've done it well, but we'll see what, how it happens in, uh, the front four for, uh, for San Francisco. Uh, I like that matchup against, uh, the green Bay offensive line. So we'll see how that goes. And, um, you know, I like San Francisco's running game uh, going to go up against uh, Green Bay up in the cold. So I, I feel like the way that San Francisco plays uh, their matchup is going to favor them uh, in this uh, this game up here. And then win that game. And then, you know, they'll either play at, um, they'll, you know, they'll play either at uh, L.A. or at uh, Tampa Bay in the, uh, the champion, NFC championship game should both be exciting. Um, of course, yeah, it'd be like they they face uh, the Rams again after, uh, to get to the Super Bowl after winning against them to get into the playoffs would be interesting. Plus, the way the Rams are, that's uh, their fan base and everything. That's basically a San Francisco home game uh, for the uh, NFC Championship. And then they would return there a few weeks later uh, to win uh, the Super Bowl. So that'd be interesting to, to watch there. Uh, so, you know, we'll, yeah. We'll can you happens. manifest that part right there? Yeah. The going and all that and winning the Super Bowl, because yeah. that might be the end of the scripture podcast, because I don't think <laughs> I'd be alive. Uh, but I I mean, you can keep on going with that because I was liking that arc. So you can keep on. going. Oh, yeah. No, I, I really I mean, even though, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, I know everybody's you know suspect of him, but and yeah, he had that pick. But 
as long as they can stay ahead, I think, and by at least one score, I think it'll be all right. Um, and even if they get behind by one, I mean, we saw them go out and win the game uh, for uh, the 49ers uh, against the Rams to get into the playoffs. So, uh, you know, I think as long as he doesn't make any um, mistakes, I mean, it's kind of like Blake Bortles a few years ago with the Jaguars and everything. Uh, you know, he had that really good run and I mean, he did everything right in that playoff run uh, until the end um, when they started to ch- uh, challenge him a, a little bit more with uh, coverages and stuff. But, you know, I mean, that was the play calling that lost the game anyways. But I, I think, you know, with Garoppolo, I mean, he's got a great uh, rushing attack behind him and you know he's got some great pass catchers as well. So I think he'll fare well. But uh, I mean, I'll pull up the matchups here so I know what the matchups could end up looking like. But yeah, I mean, the uh, 49ers, they if they beat, uh, yeah, if they beat the Packers and uh, Tampa wins, obviously they'll go to Tampa, they go to uh, LA. You know, so they'll have to have played at LA like three times if LA won this weekend to go to the Super Bowl because they're going to be playing in the Super Bowl in LA. So it's like, oh, well, home, they're basically expanding their fan base, I guess, and continuing to win in the state of California. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that matchup uh, a lot, you know, especially Aaron Rodgers' uh, suspect record in the in the fourth quarter. So yeah, I'm trying to manifest it, and but, you know, we got to move on to other games. Yeah, I mean, I want to manifest that, but I'm too nervous to, and I don't want it to come off as a full homer. Um, the game this weekend seems like a George Kittle game. Uh, you know, GK has been quiet for a while, and it's a spot for him as one of the best players in the league. Um, you know, Kelsey, everyone talks about him being great tight end. I'm like, Travis Kelsey is an overrated wide receiver who used to be a quarterback. And um, he's just a big, burly dude. He just seems like a freaking more articulate Rob Gronkowski, um, who's just lucky that that Kermit the Frog throws to him all the time. Let let Travis Kelsey try to go and do those kind of stats of the quarterbacks he's, that GK's had. Give GK fucking um, Patrick Mahomes, and I bet you he'd be going and chasing every tight end record that's ever existed. Oh, wait, that's right. He set the tight end record for yards. Um, prior to Travis Kelsey taking it over. Um, it's a day where uh, Green Bay can't defend everything. They're going to try to stop the run because Elijah Mitchell and Debo are going to be back there. Um, Debo, along with Brandon Ayuk, that was the thing that was missing in week three because Ayuk was in, um, uh, what's his name's um, doghouse. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's doghouse, but Wes Welker's doghouse, the wide receivers coach, and um, he wasn't playing, but now he's out there. Uh, Green Bay has a rookie corner that's been playing really well. It's interesting since Ambry Thomas has been playing really well in recent weeks for the Niners as a rookie corner. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley is back, so the E-man, as uh, Greg Papa likes to call him, uh, is out there, so our most, like, most a formidable cornerback duo is out there. We have Tart and um, Greg, uh, or not Greg, uh, Jimmy Ward, uh, Greg Ward, Jimmy Ward. Uh, so the secondary is probably about as good as it's been, and they need to be uh, when you consider it's A.A. Ron. Maybe go say A.A. Ron Jones, but I don't know about that. We'll see what happens with that in general. 
Um, last week's game almost put me in a hospital, uh, especially when Jimmy G threw his hospital ball to fucking whatever the hell. I mean, he missed Brandon Ayuk twice. The first was on a third down where they could have kept a drive going, probably put the game away there with a score of any kind, three or seven. Um, that, that was a bad miss. He does that at least once a game. And then he did the interception, which he does least once a game seemingly um that interception all the dallas fans like the dallas fans i know that i'm a niner fan they weren't trying to talk to me and i'm like yo i basically told all of them that interception i figured you guys are gonna win and D'Amico ryan's god bless him he's getting head coaching looks but that defense that he played on that last drive was abysmal and um they did everything in their power to allow uh, Dallas to win, but then Dallas helped them out because they're Dallas. It's what they've been doing since they won their last Super Bowl. They go and cancel themselves. So um, Dak Prescott, whatever, decides to run, but does, doesn't take into account the fact that you have to reset the ball and, you know, an umpire and then all Cowgirls fans are all mad. Oh, the umpire wasn't chasing him. Like, why is an umpire going to freaking chase him? You know, dipshits like Skip Bayless and whatever. Like, go fuck yourself. You had more penalties than anybody in the league, and then you had penalized like 15 times in that game. Dak Prescott was missing passes left and right. Uh, you know, your big players weren't able to do nothing. You can be, you could be salty all you want at the end of the end of the game, but the Niners beat your ass for most of the night, and then they shit the bed in the fourth quarter and backdoored it. They were kicking field goals in the first half, and I'm like, that's not going to be enough. And I knew it, and it got there. And But in the end, the Niners held on. If they win on Green Bay, I would be ecstatic. If they play a close game and they lose, I'll kind of be bummed. If they get blown out, I'll not be happy. But, you know, A-Ron's been getting beat by the Niners here in recent years, and I know he wants to beat them. This is his hometown team, his favorite team growing up. The the matchup between Shanahan and LaFleur is very interesting uh, before you get into the player matchups and all that. Uh, but we will see that on Saturday night uh, in the uh, playoff. Uh, the first playoff game will be the Bengals at Tennessee. So both one seeds will be playing um, on Saturday. Tennessee got the one seed in part because of, you know, the East both Buffalo and New England kind of pillaging each other off of the other teams within the division. Uh, Joe Burrow gets to play on the road in the playoffs. The possibility of Derrick Henry coming back um, is there for Tennessee. So that'll be something uh, in regards to how that matchup goes. It'll be very close in that game. Uh, very much ball control aspect be going on there. And then in the um nfc nfc will be on sunday <coughs> excuse me um or on sunday there will be i'm trying to remember the kansas city uh the kansas city buffalo kansas game city, i think buffalo is the later sunday. game yeah and then the earlier game will be the that's gonna be the rams and the Bucks rams on and sunday. the bucks on sunday um and they'll know if if depending on what happens, if the Green Bay wins, they're going. Whoever wins travels. If if the Niners win, whoever wins is going to hold the NFC Championship game. The Rams seemingly, I I think they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the regular season. So 
there is that. But then Matthew Stafford, you don't know, in the Monday night game, they destroyed Arizona. Arizona shit the bed there. Um, Arizona freaking Kyler Murray's underhand throwing the ball. Uh, tells you how bad it got there. But will good Matthew Stafford or bad Matthew Stafford show up? One playoff win, a bunch of bad over his career. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, can he beat Tom Brady? Can Tom Brady with like B wide receivers and C running backs go and get another Super Bowl? That's a talk there. The biggest game of the weekend outside of that Green Bay Niner game is the Kansas City Buffalo game, which is a replay of last year's AFC Championship game. Um, Mahomes has had a lot of adversity this year. Um, Josh Allen, after the breakout year he had last year, adversity too. Can Buffalo go to Arrowhead and make things happen? Uh, Josh, let us know what you're thinking on those games. Yeah, I think on those games, um, you know, starting out with uh, the Bills and the the Chiefs, you know, with uh, the way the way that uh, the Bills have played this year, yeah, they've been hot and cold. I feel like, and uh, I mean, overall, I mean, they they've had a great offense and defense, but then there have been some games. You know, they they lost against Jacksonville in a re- really weird matchup there. Um, you know, with um, the way that game ended up playing out, uh, you know, nine to six loss there, but. The Chiefs, you know, they struggled early on this year, but now seemingly uh, picked it up. Uh, they destroyed the, the Pittsburgh Steelers last week and put them to bed. Uh, ben Roethlisberger ending his career with a payoff loss, uh, although scoring 21 points, at least uh, three scores. So um, great, uh, okay career there uh, and everything. But, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs, uh, they've got speed on defense and well on offense. Uh Bills have a good pass defense. Jordan Poyer um, uh, on the back end, uh, safety. Uh, you know, with uh, you know they've got Jerry Hughes defensive end as well. And of course, on offense, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Uh, this is going to be a rematch of the AFC Championship game, so it's going to be a good matchup. So uh, looking forward to you know seeing that matchup there. You know, of course, mentioned the uh, L.A. Rams and the uh, Buccaneers playing it out here in Tampa. Jalen Ramsey returning to the state of Florida uh, to play uh, against Tom Brady once again in the playoffs. So uh, we'll see if the Rams go out and win that matchup. Um, and they they have a good defense. And, yeah, you mentioned Tom Brady is going over. Uh, I mean, it's going to be Tom Brady, but he's got you know B-level wide receivers alongside Mike Evans. Uh, the running back situation isn't great. Got Aaron Donald, uh, you're facing up against, and of course Jalen Ramsey as well. So that's going to be a tough matchup, and also Von Miller, who got traded to the Rams this year. Um, so it's going to be uh, a tough, um, it's going to be a tough game for Tom Brady. But uh, they've had uh, some injuries as well on the offensive line, so the offensive line is going to have to be able to uh, for the Buccaneers is going to be able to uh, protect him and uh, provide good enough blocking uh, throughout the game. So we'll see um, uh, how that plays out. Uh, I mean, I, I like the Bucks. I'll stay with the home state here. Uh, but, you know, I think um, Rams could be a sneaky winner here if uh, they do everything right. Matt Stafford doesn't turn it over or anything like that. And then uh, in the Saturday game, of course, you know, we've got uh, Bills or well, not Bills, but we you know the other Saturday game besides 49ers, we got the Bengals at the Titans. That's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, Joe Mor- uh, Burrow, I think, is better uh, if you match it up between quarterbacks. Joe Burrow's uh, the guy uh, there. Good offense um, and everything. The Titans' defense isn't really that great. It's kind of sus, uh, but somehow uh, Mike Rabel uh, got 12 wins out of his team. Uh, I think a lot of that is because they play in a weak division right now. But 
they and they also did lose to Buffalo at home. But uh, I think uh, the Bengals uh, have the better overall team. You know, we'll see if that happens or not. Uh, I think um, you know they getting back Derrick Henry from injury, but uh, of course, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill's uh, not really as good as uh, Joe Burrow. So look at that one and go with the team that has the better quarterback. Um, uh, I think uh, with the way that uh, some of these games have played out, you know, I mean, I think the the most uh, physical team is going to win, but I think um, you know, at the end of the day, the quarterback has to win the match or uh, you know make the right decisions. And I I think uh, I trust Joe Burrow in his second season over Ryan Tannehill, a former wide receiver in college, now playing in the NFL as a QB since 2012. Uh, certainly, he's been a great uh, game manager for the. Uh, the Titans, but I don't believe uh, he has what it takes to take them all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think uh, you know, we already talked about the 49ers and the um, Packers, but um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I picked the 49ers to win uh, eventually in a close game, but they will have uh, done enough damage throughout the first three quarters that Green Bay um, won't be able to come back uh, all the way to make a complete comeback. So it's going to be um, Jimmy Garoppolo winning that matchup. Again, speaking in existence for Phil. Um, and you know, the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday, that'll be at uh, 6 p.m. Uh, and then you have the uh, Bucks and the Rams playing at 3 p.m. on Sunday, and then the Saturday game, 4.30, uh, Cincinnati, Tennessee, and then 8.15, the San Francisco Green Bay. So a lot of matchups and great matchups here in the NFL playoffs. Yeah, I mean, uh, sorry about that there. Uh, freaking COVID has its way of uh, getting you with a scratchy throat. Um, but Josh is always coming in as a closer and giving you all you need to know in regards to the NFL playoffs. Uh, no picks, um, just pl- just going and kind of hoping have, it would be something if it happens. And Tony Romo was trying to manifest it too. It's like, well, if Jimmy G goes and wins the Super Bowl, they're not going to get rid of him. Uh, sorry, uh, Tony, uh, they are getting rid of him. And there are plenty of teams in this league that need a quarterback. And they'll take a Super Bowl winning quarterback uh, and give up a couple of ones for that. Or a one, a two, something, which would help the Niners, even though they can't draft in the first and second round for shit most of the time. I mean, for the exception of like Debo Samuel, uh, but or Debo Samuels, as Michael Robinson likes to call him. Um, that was funny when he actually corrected himself this morning. I'm like, this MFR has been calling him Debo Samuels for like three years, and all of a sudden now he got corrected. I guess enough, he got enough fan, he got hate on social media to finally correct his own grammar. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. It's going to be a great weekend. They always say it's like the best weekend in, in football or one of the best weekends in sports. I'm like, no, the weekend before is better because you have more games. This is cool, but it's a bet. It's like the elite eight, you know, it's like, I get that, but if you're there, yeah. Um, and the Niners are there, which is great. Um, before we get into some other stuff. Any word on uh, Jacksonville's search? I mean, it sounds like Trent's going to still be there, so that kind of doesn't help your cause. But um, who have you interviewed uh, in regards to the head coaching search? I know, of course, Leftwich and has been there. And who else has been in play? And is there any other second interviews? Is Trent possibly going to be out, or is he going to definitely be there? Uh, I'm not sure yet about Trent, but 
you know, I, I have heard. So it looks like they've interviewed Nate Hackett, former offensive coordinator for the Jaguars from 2016 to 2018. And um, it was definitely the guy that helped the team with their playoff run in uh, 2017. But uh, I, I think, yeah, they interviewed him. I don't know if they interviewed him a second time. I don't think they can because he's a second round playoff team, you know, with the interview rules and all that. So um, I think they, they will want to interview him for a second round, but I think they've, he's made it clear he's anti-bulky uh, in the interviews. So he could cut the bulky go, let him go if he gets hired. Uh, also have uh, heard that they, they want to talk to Matt Eberflaws, the, uh, or Eberflaws, I don't know how you say his name, but uh, he's the defensive coordinator for um, Eberflus. Yeah. He's yeah. the defensive coordinator for the uh, uh, Indianapolis Colts. Colts. Yeah. So uh, I think they did a second interview him, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sure uh, if they did or not, or if they are going to I think they want to interview Byron a second time. It looks like um, haven't heard much about the Jim Caldwell uh, front there, but I, I mean, it looks like it's, I mean, going to be between, I mean, in my, my imagination, it looks like it would be between Byron Leftwich uh, or uh, Eberflaus or, or Hackett. So any of those three, that's what might be the court or the uh, the coach search. And then I think, I really think in all three situations that they'd get rid of Balky, but not sure how exactly is that going to go. Um, but we'll see what happens. But I mean, ex- you know, expect that. I mean, especially as long as the playoffs go on. Um, and if they really like, I mean, Byron, um, I'm sure they'll try to get do everything they can to get him, but um, expect that announcement to happen soon. We'll see not soon, like, you know, tomorrow or even next week, but you know, soon in the relative future uh, when that comes, but uh, should be interesting to see what happens once it does. If, if they decide to get rid of Balky or not, hopefully, and yeah, hopefully they do. Um, but it's um, definitely a, a, a situation where you just got to see who's the best leader. You know, it's not always about like, um, do they have a good, I mean, obviously you gotta be a good coach, but you know, um, they also have to be a, a good leader and, um, can they, uh, take their philosophy and bring it over, uh, successfully and, you know, imprint it onto the franchise and, you know, hopefully, hopefully it happens and you know, we don't have to have a third coach for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And that's the big thing, um, whether, and that's where it kind of goes and lines up for the offensive coach, which would mean either Nate Hackett or Byron Leftwich. Um, what is it? Chad Khan <clears throat> is not winning. He's not very popular there. Um, I think the hire of Byron Leftwich would be a popular hire. Whether Byron Leftwich is ready or not to be determined. Uh, I was saying it to somebody uh, at work that Byron Leftwich is waiting for um, Bruce Arians to say, I'm going to quit and um, he's going to get that job. And it's the same thing in Kansas City with uh, big Andy Ryad that Eric Bieniemy is going to wait and he's going to get that job. Because in the end, owners are not going to hire African-American coaches. It's proven. It's why there's only one. But it's the most progress- one of the most progressive organizations in all of sports and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. But then you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers' history. They've had three effing coaches for like 60 years or whatever the fuck it is. Like it was Chuck Knoll, then it was Bill Cower, and it's been Omar Epps in a freaking um, Mike Tomlin. That That's it. There's a reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers 
I mean, they got railroaded on Sunday night, but the point is there's a reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers win. There's stability, there's control, there's whatever. He's the only African-American. Mike Tom is the only African-American head coach in, in the league right now. That's a joke. There's been African-American head coaches that get run out the door in two years, don't get a chance, get a run in the Cully case. They just use them as a, as a you know, hanger on. The irony is that, you know, they're talking about Gerard Mayo. You know, there's still Matt, what is it, the Brian Flores situation since Miami ran him out the door, which is retarded. Uh, tells you how bad Miami is, that they ran him out the door, and they think getting um, all these teams are all trying to get um, Dable. You know, the Giants are trying to get Dable. Miami's trying to get Dable. I'm like, Dable's not like a quarterback whisperer, number one. Number two... Josh Allen was a raw talent anyway before he got him. Yes, he made him a better quarterback, sure. But now he's calling plays for him to run, and the guy's taking a lot of contact. So he's trying to be like a right-handed Steve Young with a bigger arm. Okay, but even then, he still has his warts. And I, I mean, I'm a Josh Allen fan. You have to go and look at it, and you have to go and say to yourself, all right, if I'm hiring a coach, I need to hire somebody that's going to be able to go and coach 50 the 53 i mean it's not just about one player you have to be able to coach the whole group like josh just said you know if you can't coach the whole group it don't make a damn difference you're only as good it's like my my buddy brendan talked because he's a soccer guy he's like you're only as good as your worst player because that team the other team's going to go after the worst player well in this case you're you're trying to make sure that nobody's a liability you know steve smith went on a pat McVie show and basically ethered Carson Wentz um, because of the way that they used him and how they're basically getting away from him. They're trying to go and control, do ball control with the run. The irony is the Niners do the same thing, but at least Jimmy G wasn't considered a lead ever. Um, you know, Carson Wentz at one time was an MVP candidate. He's not that guy anymore. It's the same thing here with how you go and evaluate in a similar way with how you value these coaches. Like whether it's not a skin color thing. Do you want that person or not? Can they run your organ? Can they run your team and be the face of your organization? Most of these white people don't want to have a person of color running the organization. The Washington uh, shitholes, they have Ron Rivera, and he's just basically a front man to cover the fact that Dan Snyder is a piece of garbage. Minus the fact of stupid name, but it's like that Dan Snyder is a piece of garbage. So you just use them as scapegoats. You have these white guys that they hire that have no talent, no skill, no ability, and they get three, four years to actually do something. Um, unless you're like the Giants or a team that's a rudderless ship. We'll see what happens. Um, there's probably going to be some rules and some... Uh, the decisions made here between now and next episode episode uh joe bessie uh chad little or kurt bush or whatever number 97 greg ray actually drove number 97 the irl um in um next week and we'll see what comes of that um we'll see what happens with the league and all <clears throat> as well uh josh is 97 too that is true. Magaboy is 97. Um, didn't practice. I kind of feel like he will play, though. They're just going to keep him out, make sure he gets through the protocol. He will play because, I mean, he's a meathead. He isn't working with a whole lot of brain matter anyway. I think there wasn't whole, all that much of an injury. Um, there was more of an injury to Fred Warner, which was a re-injury of his ankle. But I think Fred Warner is going to play, too. So 
for the most part, the Niners defense will be out there and will need all hands on deck to try to hold off Aaron. Freaking Joe Rogan, uh, butt buddy Aaron, who's going to win another MVP. But if he doesn't win the Super Bowl, the end of the day doesn't really matter. That's the difference for him. Green Bay has a pressure. Matt LaFleur has a pressure. They're supposed to win this game. The Niners are free rolling. I feel like GK is going to have like a crazy game. And it's not just because I'm a fan. He hasn't really done a whole hell of a lot or he's been screwed out of pay- catches, whatever. At some point, you have to feed him. You know how Ezekiel, feed me, feed me. Well, he doesn't do that anymore because he sucks. It's like GK is not going to complain, but he knows if he gets to go and do all this stuff and he gets to do his Pentagon thing, and Green Bay is not going to be able to compete with that because between him and the ball control with Debo and Eli Mitchell, it it should be a tough game. The Niners are going to be in that game, Um, and it would make sense that they are the whole way. So, Josh, um... Before we go and close this deal out, um, let us know what you're doing on the sim racing side. We're hoping, I was hoping to have somebody we could have talked about certain sim racing deal there. Um, maybe we can still make that angle work, but um, what's going on in iRacing and other sims? Yeah, this week I did some road racing at the Okayama International Circuit with uh, the BMW GT4 M4 car. Uh, that was a pretty interesting car starting to get the hang of that doing a little bit of sports car racing uh on there so um that's what i've been doing this week of course the 87s are uh at michigan i believe and indy cars at homestead in the open series indy cars uh fixed series uh is at uh at las vegas uh, so go figure there but um uh, i don't have las vegas bow on high racing but uh also yeah the i racing 24 hours of daytona is this weekend uh i don't think i don't think i'll be participating in that i uh don't i mean it's going on through friday through uh sunday but uh probably i don't know i haven't uh, been able to practice uh for it or you know train for it or anything and you know you gotta gotta get a team together to do that and i hadn't uh i hadn't been able to do that so or you know, get a chance to talk, um, you know, network with other people to try to figure something out for that. Um, but you know, I'm not really sure I'm, you know, fully ready to do a endurance race on iRacing and everything because it's not just about the driving part. You know, you got to think about the the strategy and everything, and you know, you got to um, decide when you're going to get on to drive and all that stuff, and probably going to um, not get a whole lot of rest and everything, and then um, have to go into the next day, if that was on a Sunday or, you know, doing that on a Saturday and then finishing on Sunday, well, that's, um, you know, not good. Cause then I have to go to work the next day and everything all, all tired. But, um, I mean, it's not really that bad because, uh, virtual stuff. And you know, I guess you can just take naps in between, but, you know, we'll, we'll look out for more, um, iRacing stuff later on in a couple you know weeks. We got the Daytona 500 coming up this week or not this week, but in next month. So definitely be going into that. Um, um, I, yeah, and then, uh, all the other sim racing events um um maybe maybe we'll try doing like the 12 hours of sebring or something like that first uh before doing the 24 hours and try to plan for that and then yeah i mean there yeah the certain somebody we we're going to talk about uh we weren't able to get on i mean yeah get into their i racing league which apparently all you do is for, uh, fill out a form and answer some questions on there um 
and yeah all i gotta do is just fill out that form and then as long as they accept me i'm in so and all you do is race cleanly in there uh, but i'm not sure when their schedule is and that's the thing is like so far in i racing like i haven't really joined any leagues per se like that private leagues that people run i've just run the fixed or, or not fixed but the um the uh, official races that they host on their servers um, for all the classes and series that they have. Um, Cause I know what the, they have a, a schedule and everything. And I can just like go and like, you know, turn on the computer and then, Oh, it's seven o'clock. Oh, I can go race Indy cars at seven fifteen, And then, you know, it's more of a pickup deal, which is kind of how I'm more, um, I guess, centered around, I guess I can just like pick it up and play and everything, but I might think about doing some league racing and then um, soon we'll see up the, you know, figure out and playing all the time for that. So um, we'll, we'll try to figure that out, you know, maybe later on this year and everything. But uh, yeah, that will uh, be probably doing more, more of, uh, you know, more road course racing maybe and you know, a little bit of NASCAR probably this weekend. So unless you know when I streamed that, tweeted out, let you know and all that stuff. So uh, of course, you know, go ahead and start the close and everything. But um, uh, the Twitch stream, of course, is at uh, twitch.tv slash UCLR2. Go on there and uh, subscribe and, or follow and, you know, watch when I'm, uh, notified when I'm going to stream. And then of course, uh, uh, Twitter, or you can follow me, see all the things I'm interested in and, uh, what I uh, might talk about. We'll talk about the games this weekend and all that stuff. Talk about the roar and all that. And you can follow me at, uh, on Twitter at JP Huffline. And then, um, that's where you can follow me at. So, uh, you know, all the, all the good stuff on there that you can see for me and, um, follow me. So, uh, that's all I got. I was talking with the mute. Of course, you'd think after 90-something episodes, you know how to take the mute off. Um, thank you, uh, Josh, as always, for um, your insight, your analysis, ability to go and cover all different uh, motorsports series and sports, too. Uh, here on the GSP, uh, you pick up for me when I my drunken self can't uh, pick up for myself. So always appreciate you. And for everything that you do and what you know outside of here dealing with too and um dude's a great race car driver i know that you would be good in that particular league the league um i feel like it's like circa 2005 howard stern show when he was talking about going to you know so hopefully we can have that's a certain person on uh something happened in regards to a vehicle um They'll try to arrange something. I know next week won't be good, but after that, maybe, uh, maybe uh, in between or sometime in February, might be able to arrange that too. Got some, got some irons in the fire. Got some opportunities there. <clears throat> Before we get into the clothes in general for the show and myself, bowling games kind of in a transition. Working on some stuff. Scores are not as good in the league sense, but I've been able to take off some good scores outside of league. Getting to a significant day um, next week. As of now, it looks like we'll be able we'll be doing the show next week on uh, the twenty sixth. Um, so we'll be able to have a little uh, birthday celebration as um, uh, executive producer slash co host. Phil will be celebrating a birthday. Um, so I'll probably be doing a little extra something. Maybe I'll stuff cake in my mouth while I'm doing the show, or I don't know. Um, the Carvel cake is probably not the right idea to be doing while doing a podcast, but um, we'll see about that. I don't think there's any plans as of now. 
um, you know, COVID time and everything. But um, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find the show at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. We're on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora. Um, go back over here. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, been trying to get out, trying to get us out further. Um, thanks to Phil Spain, and thanks to you, Josh, also for sharing the uh, the show, the, uh, the roundtable last week. I think it'll be really good, especially coming into the NASCAR season in general, um, that we'll find out how all things are going with that. But um, we thank you for listening here to the Gripster Podcast. We'll be back next week. What day next week? To be determined. We'll be back next week to go and discuss uh, the Monte Carlo rally. We'll be talking about the roar at the 24, going into the Rolex 24. Talk about divisional uh, playoff weekend in the NFL. NHL's going into their all-star break. A bunch of Colorado Avalanche players are in that. Um, talk about all that. Uh, we'll get into the, uh, yeah, you're talking about Rolex 24. You got the first race of the Formula E World Championship uh, starting. So we'll talk about that. Any NASCAR, Formula One, IndyCar uh, news, any other news, uh, Supercross, of course, be at San Diego. Um, get into that. I think uh, the indoor uh, midgets and slingshots, might be, they'll be running at AC uh, next week. So be able to preview all that here on the Gripster Podcast. So we thank you for listening to Gripster Podcast. Follow us where you can. Give us a like, listen, um, feedback so we can go and get better. Uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to Gripster Podcast, and goodbye.